Matthew chapter 21. We'll be looking this morning at verses 1 through 11. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethpage, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek, sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put on them their clothes, and they set him their own. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strew them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. Lord, this morning uh, we are hungry for your word, and we pray that you would feed us the good word of God, that we may be strengthened in our journey. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, the prophet Isaiah said that the Messiah would set his face like a flint in Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 7. And that means that the Messiah, when he came, would be absolutely determined to accomplish what it was that he came to accomplish. And here you see Jesus doing that. Here you see Jesus entering Jerusalem. He's absolutely set on buying your salvation, dying for you. Here's Jesus entering the lion's den. Here's Jesus entering into a trap that he knows has been set for him. Here's Jesus willingly walking to the place of his death, determined to die for the sins of the world. Matthew spends 20 chapters covering 33 years of Jesus' life. But the next eight chapters are going to cover eight simple days. What does that mean? It means that he wants to put a lot of attention on this final week. He wants to put a lot of attention on what we generally call the Passion Week of Christ or the Holy Week of Christ. Now let's look here at how this last week of Jesus' life begins. We see first of all in verses 1 through 3 the commands of Jesus. Jesus walked most of the way up to Jerusalem. There was a Roman military road that extended from Jericho to Jerusalem. It was about a 17-mile journey. But that really wasn't the half of it because the road actually climbed about 3,000 feet. So if you can imagine a 17-mile journey, but also a journey that's very difficult, a, very, a journey that would be very hard to walk uphill. It passed through Bethany and Bethpage. And I think Jesus, when you think about this, you think about, he must have been a guy who was in shape. I mean, that's a hard walk. He covered a lot of terrain. He wasn't this pale-faced, effeminate man like so many artists portray Jesus to be. Jesus is a rugged man. You shake his hand and his, his hands are callous. He's probably got a grip on him. He's baked by the sun. He's got calf muscles, amen. He's walking 17 miles 
from Jericho to Jerusalem. But he stops here in the city of Bethpage. This is as far as he walks because he's going to ride the rest of the way, which isn't far at all, on on a donkey. But the problem is they didn't have a donkey. The disciples didn't travel like that. They traveled by foot. They toted things on their back. They didn't have a lot of things to tote to begin with. But they didn't use a beast of burden to tote those things. And so Jesus told two of his disciples to go and tell them to the village and that they would find a donkey and that this donkey would have a baby with her and that they should bring both of them to Jesus. And he also says that they would be tied up. And he says, if there's any problem, you just tell whoever it is that says to you, hey, what are you doing? You just say the Lord needs these. Luke's gospel tells us there was a problem. The guy who owned those two animals ran out and said, hey, what are you doing? Why are you taking my animals? They said, the Lord needs them. And the owner let them have them. Now, the prophecy of Zechariah is mentioned here in verses 4 and 5. 500 years earlier, a prophet by the name of Zechariah, speak of the coming, speaking of the coming Messiah, said these words, Rejoice, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king comes to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. So the prophet Zechariah said, this is going to happen. And now we we see it happening. Jesus rides this donkey to the edge of Jerusalem. In verses 6 through 9, we see that. Now the disciples did help Jesus get on the donkey. They made a saddle out of their clothing. And then Jesus got on the donkey, which probably was a very peculiar sight because the Bible said he got on the little donkey. Imagine this full-grown man, this small donkey, Jesus riding on its back. There's a great number of people involved. Matthew says there were great multitudes. Remember, the roads are already busy because this is the high holy day. This is Passover that's coming up. So everybody is pilgrimaging over to the holy city for Passover. Some of these people were the disciples of Christ. Some of them were just followers. Some of these people were religious leaders or just pilgrims in general. But in the midst of all this, suddenly everybody just kind of gets emotional. Maybe it was all the hype. People had been talking about Jesus. People were very excited about this Passover because so many people were thinking that perhaps this was the Messiah. And in their mind, they were thinking, if this is the Messiah, man, He's going to come and He's going to overthrow Rome for us. This is our year. These people were excited. They began to make a road for Jesus to lay out the red carpet for Him. They take their clothing. They lay it on the ground. It's just a sign of honor, of respect. Many of these people would stay for a couple of weeks in Jerusalem when they went. They'd have a lot of extra clothes with them. Others began to lay out palm branches on the ground. John 12, 13 talks about that. Palm branches were used in the Feast of Tabernacles. And to the Jewish people, they were a sign of victory. And Luke says the people blessed the Lord with a loud voice. They began to quote a portion of the Psalms from Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26. Hosanna, which means save us now. Hosanna to the son of David. They said, here's a man who has a right to the throne of David. Matthew's already showed you that in his genealogy. They said he comes in the name of the Lord. They said he's more blessed than than a normal person. Blessed be the king that comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And everything that was happening was creating such a spectacle that the religious leaders told Jesus um, to tell His disciples to be quiet. 
They didn't need to be doing this. It's just too much ruckus. And, and that's when Jesus said those famous words. He says it wouldn't do any good if they were quiet. The stones themselves would cry out. Well, all of this causes curiosity in verses 10 and 11. As I said, Jesus is the talk of the town. People are asking, who is this? And an answer is given that doesn't even give Jesus justice. They said, who is Jesus? And they said, well, who is this? They said, well, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. Now what we see in the last eight chapters of Matthew proves that he's not a mere prophet. In fact, the very text you're looking at today is going to show you that he's not a mere prophet. And so this morning what we're going to do is we're going to answer that question asked in verse 10 from this text. Who is Jesus? And by the way, that really is the only question in life that matters. And I want to give you five answers to that question this morning as we look at the triumphal entry of Jesus. And the first thing I want you to see is this. Who is Jesus? Jesus is a breaker of the will. He's a breaker of the will. The disciples are told, go get a donkey, go get a colt. And Luke says something interesting about this. Luke says that no one had ever ridden that young donkey before. Now, it would be very difficult to get a young donkey to, to travel. And so that's probably why they brought the mother. You bring the mother donkey, well, what's going to happen with the younger donkey? The younger donkey is going to follow. And so that's probably why both of them come. But listen, if, you or I, if, me, if one of us had tried to get on the back of that donkey, a donkey that had never been ridden before, a donkey that was probably uh, scared anyway, we would have failed. He would have bucked us off. But it's interesting that this donkey is willing to carry Jesus. In the Bible, you read it and you see that God even has this amazing control over animals. Noah's dove came back when it was supposed to come back. That crazy story of Balaam's donkey. Daniel in the lion's den. The lions didn't touch him because the Lord said don't. Peter's rooster crowed right when it was supposed to crow. And, and that's difficult to get a rooster to do, right? Why? Because the Lord was in control of it. How does Jesus ride a donkey that's never been ridden? Well, very simply, He tames it. Just as Jesus stilled the stormy waters, Jesus steals the heart of this little donkey. That donkey was as tame as you could ever imagine when the Lord mounted him. Now what in the world does that mean for us? Because there's something here for us. The Lord can tame any heart. He can break any will. The Lord can tame any heart. He can break any will. You know, someone may have looked at that gathering demoniac. Remember that story about that guy, man? He was just filled with devils and somebody might ask, how in the world could this man ever live for the Lord? But yet that man is li was living for the Lord moments after he met Jesus because there's not a will so strong, not even a demonic will, that Jesus can't break. There's not a heart that Jesus can't tame. I want you to know this, that, that throughout history, God has saved many a jack wagon. Amen? Right? Have you ever known a jack... I, I, I'm not going to use that other word. I'm going to use jack wagon. Have you ever known how of jack wagons that God has saved? 
stubborn, self-centered, unteachable people. And how does God save a jack wagon? Well, I'll tell you how He does it. He changes their will. You know, we talk a lot about will. We're proud of our will often. But it's often our will, that, that, or it's always our will, that needs to be changed. When God saves you, He gives you a new heart. He gives you new desires. I've known men and women who were just completely out of control until they met Jesus. Completely out of control until they met the Lord. So who is Jesus? Well, well, Jesus is someone who can change anyone. He's someone who can tame anyone. Listen to me, you may buck off your parents. You may buck off your wife. You may buck off your drug and alcohol counselor. You may buck off the police. But if Jesus gets a hold of you, you won't buck Him off. And why would you want to? Because what a privilege it is to carry Christ. What a privilege it is to carry Christ in our life. You remember Paul the Apostle, man? He was a hard-headed mule. He was a stubborn jack wagon. And he tried to buck Jesus off, but that didn't end up too good for him. I mean, he tried, he tried to just do what he wanted to do, but, but guess what? He ended up on the ground. He ended up blinded. He ended up pleading for mercy. Why? Because Jesus broke his will. Thank God Jesus is a breaker of the will. I tell you what, I'm so glad that on January the 14th, 1996, Jesus broke my will. Amen? Going my own way, doing my own thing, living for me. But then all of a sudden, Jesus got a hold of me and completely changed my will. And He'll do that for anyone. So He is a breaker of the will. There's something else I want you to see here about Jesus as well in this story. He's a God of providence. He's a God of providence. Jesus told him, He said, you go into town and you're going to find a mother donkey, you're going to find a baby donkey, and they're going to be tied up, and I want you to bring both of them back to me. If the owner objects, just tell them the Lord needs them. Now, we have no reason to believe this was prearranged because Jesus had been in the city of Jericho. He hadn't been in Jerusalem planning anything at all. And so they found these donkeys, not because it was prearranged by Jesus, they found these donkeys because of the providence of God. Now, what do we mean by providence? Well, when we say providence, we don't mean a miracle. A miracle is when God works outside His ordinary process of natural cause and effect. There's an ordinary process in this world of natural cause and effect, right? We see that every day. A miracle is when God works outside of what is ordinary. It's a a beautiful, simple uh, definition that, that John Piper gives. But what is providence? Well, providence means that God is directing all things in His creation in such a way that they fulfill all His purposes. Providence means that God is directing all things in His creation in such a way that they will fulfill all His purposes. We're not talking about fate. We're not talking about coincidence. We're talking about providence. So here's the idea before the creation of the world. God ordained the circumstances in which these disciples would find those donkeys on that particular day. That's what we mean when we quote Romans 8.28. All things are working together. 
for good, for those who love God and are the called according to His purpose. And so in, in one sense, providence is really more amazing than even a miracle is. Because in a miracle, what God does is He just works outside the ordinary process. But in providence, God works things out in eternity to work a particular way down to the smallest detail. Imagine everything that has to happen for this exact thing to occur. This is the providence of God. Now I'm sure maybe the disciples were wondering, well, I don't know what we're supposed to do. We're just going to walk around town and when we see a donkey and we see its baby, I guess then we just take it and, and if, if they object, we do what the Lord said. I don't know about you, but that would be hard for me to do. That'd be difficult for me. So you can only imagine when they obeyed the Lord and they went and they said, hey, well, there's a donkey. He's tied up and that one's got, she's tied up and she's got a baby. Let's take it. You can imagine how much their faith must have increased. They were probably amazed. What's the chances they would find a mother and a baby donkey tied up and then the owner would let them have it? The providence of God in their life must have increased their faith in an amazing way. I don't know about you, but, but I've had that things like that so often in my life that have increased my faith. Let me give you an example of one. Uh, I had a man come to church one time and, uh, and, and, and I shared the gospel with him and, and he needed to be saved. He needed to be saved. But he didn't want to be saved. But you could tell the Lord was dealing with him. The Lord had a hold of him. The Lord was, was stirring. And after he uh, completely rejected the opportunity to be saved, my heart broke for him all week long. I'd never seen this man before. Never seen him before in my life when he stepped into church that day. But all week long, my heart just broke for him. Didn't see him. Well, about the end of the week, I thought about him. I prayed for him. I decided to go for a walk. And in my mind, I said, you know what, I'm going to walk all the way through town. I was living in Florida at that point. And in my mind, I said, I'm going to stop here, and then I'm going to turn around, and I'm going to come back. It was going to be probably close to a three-mile walk. But I had the exact spot that I was going to stop, and I was going to turn, and then I was going to come back, because that's where the sidewalk ended, in town. So I got out, and, and I began walking and just praying, praying for this fellow. Lord, I know he needs to be saved. I know he's, he's rejecting you. I just pray you save him. Well, as I was walking, and I had the exact spot that I was going to stop, right to where the sidewalk ended, when I walked up to right to where the sidewalk ended, there was a road coming there, and there was a stop sign. Guess who pulled up to the stop sign with his window down? You're not as impressed with that as I was. He did. And he looked like he'd seen a ghost when he saw me. I said, man, I've been thinking about you. You need to give your life to Christ. You need to be saved. And the man was just shook. And he left. And I turned around and I walked a mile and a half back to the house. My dear friends, that's the providence of God. Where God works all things out in a particular way that a particular thing happens in a particular moment. It's not a miracle. There's nothing miraculous about that. It was the providence of God. That God had laid all this out for, the, for, the, for, the, for, for my faith, to help increase my faith, but for the opportunity for this man to be saved. 
Now, I could tell you all types of stories like that, but I know you've got stories like that about the providence of God in your life where you shake your head and say, my goodness, how in the world did all of these things come together right when they needed to? And it's increased your faith. So who is Jesus? He's a God of providence. He's active in the life of these disciples. Busy working all things together for the purpose of His own will. Increasing the faith of His disciples. Having them go into town and do this so that their faith will increase. Now listen, we may seldom see miracles. We may seldom see miracles, but every day we see the providence of God in our life. We may seldom see miracles, but every day we see the providence of God in our life. The third thing I see here in this text is He is the provider of peace. Now, you didn't ride a donkey in a battle. You rode a horse. A donkey was a symbol of peace. Look at verse 5. The king is coming meekly to Jerusalem. He isn't coming to conquer the people. He's coming to conquer sin and death and hell and the grave. That's why He's coming to Jerusalem. He's bringing peace to His people through the cross. And so this, this symbolism of Jesus on the donkey is that Christ is bringing peace, church. Two things. He gives us peace with God. He gives us peace with God. Romans 5.1 Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There are a few verses that give me more comfort than that, that I have peace with God because of Christ. I mean, think for a moment, church. Think of someone perhaps that you've stolen from. Or think of someone you've spoken evil of. Or think of somebody that you've mocked. Now you're forced to meet them face to face. And you wonder, do they know all the things I've done? Do they know all the things I've said? And in your mind, you're thinking, how is this meeting going to be? Well, listen, we're all guilty of disrespecting God. And God knows all we've done. And someday we'll have to come face to face with Him. How will things be? How will things be? And if we're not saved, things will be bad. But if you know Christ, you have peace with God. And therefore, when you come face to face with Him, you have nothing to fear. Because you have peace with God. But not only do you have peace with God because of Christ, you have the peace of God. You have the peace of God, a peace that the Bible says surpasses all understanding. And thank God for His peace, because I don't know about you, but I would fall apart were it not for the peace of God. It's the peace of God that calms our spirit, that comforts us with the grace of God. You know, you may, you may live long and, and you may have a prodigal child, but, but, but at least you've got the peace of God. You may have an empty bank account one day, but at least you've got the peace of God. God forbid you may get a dreadful, fatal disease one day, but at least you have the peace of God. And you can't put a price on that. Christ coming on this donkey says, you're having peace with God. I'm bringing you the peace of God. Uh, Charles Spurgeon told this wonderful story about a martyr who was being burned at the stake. And, and, and back... In the day, man, if you were a Christian in some areas, they would burn you at the stake. History shows us this. I can't think of a more dreadful way to die than being burned, tarred, and burned. But, but he was talking about this particular man who was burned at the stake, and he said that just before the fire was lit, the executioner came, and, and he said to this would-be martyr, or this man who was about to be a martyr, he said, I really wish you'd change your beliefs. I really wish you would reject what you believe so we didn't have to do this to you. 
And the martyr said to the executioner, the one that was about to light the match, he said to him, Come and lay your hand on my heart and see if it does not beat quietly. Come and lay your hand on my heart and see if it does not beat quietly. And the executioner took his hand and laid it on this, this, this soon-to-be martyred man's heart. And sure enough, his heart was beating at a normal rhythm. And then the executioner... I mean, then the martyr said to the executioner, Now put your hand on your own heart. Now put your hand on your own heart and see if you are not more troubled than I am. And then go your way pitying yourself rather than pitying me. What a story. Amen. Could you imagine being that executioner? Putting your hand on that man's heart who was about to be burned alive and it's beating at a normal rhythm. And then putting your hand on your own heart. And it's racing like a rabbit. There is a supernatural peace imparted to the believer through Christ. There is a supernatural peace imparted to the believer through Christ. He is the provider of peace. And I pity those who do not know the peace of God. The peace of God. The fourth thing I see here about Jesus, who is Jesus? Well, He is the fulfillment of Scripture. Verse 5 is a combination of Isaiah chapter 62 verse 11 and Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9. Hundreds of years before Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey, the Word of God said He would. Hundreds of years before Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey, the Word of God said He would. Now I want to give you some deeper insight here, maybe something that you've never really thought about. First notice the donkey was tied. And you say, well, why does that matter? Why does it matter that the donkey was tied? Well, here's why it matters. The Bible says that the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah. And a descendant from that tribe would rule eternally over the whole world. That would be Jesus. Now, you have to go all the way back to the book of Genesis for this. Genesis chapter 49, verses 10 and 11. It's prophesying about the coming Messiah through the tribe of Judah. And listen to what it says. It says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Listen to this part. Binding his foe to the vine, and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. Isn't that amazing? All the way back in the book of Genesis, not only did they say that it's going to be a donkey and a colt, but it also said they're going to be tied up too. And that's how you'll know him. This donkey is Jesus' donkey. A donkey ordained for him to ride on. You know, the Jews set apart specific animals for special purposes. And an animal that had never been used to plow or had never been ridden was considered sanctified. Set apart for the Lord's use. An animal that had never been ridden or used to plow was seen as sanctified, set apart for the Lord. Now there are people who are going to tell you that you can't trust your Bible. There's all this deconstruction in Christianity. That seems to be the big thing today. But such people are fools. Such people absolutely close their mind and their eyes to amazing truths like we're looking at right now. 
Hundreds and sometimes thousands of years before Jesus ever did particular things. Prophets said He would do them down to the very last detail. The prophecies themselves are enough to prove the Bible is true. Who is Jesus? Well, church, Jesus is the fulfillment of Scripture. You can trust Him and you can trust the Bible. And the last thing I want you to see, who is Jesus? Well, He's a king who should be worshipped. I told you earlier, they gave Him the red carpet treatment when He came to Jerusalem. And He deserved it, amen? They sang to Him, didn't they? And He deserved it. But eventually those praises faded. Most of those people turned their back on Him. Some of those people who were saying Hosanna may have even been in the group that were saying crucify Him on Friday. So why? Why did they change? Why, why do people who are excited about Jesus all of a sudden stop being excited about Jesus? Well, watch this. It's because Jesus didn't meet their expectations. Jesus didn't meet their expectations. They thought He was going to come in there and He was going to overthrow Rome. They thought Israel was on her way back to her glory days. There will be no more occupiers. These folks were going to be history. They didn't understand the work of the cross. They didn't understand uh, the, the, the patience of God. They didn't understand the future work of the church and all that was going to happen. Now here's the interesting thing. Jesus checked off most of their boxes. He was born of a virgin. Check that off. He was from the tribe of Judah. Check that off. He worked miracles. Check that off. He preached to even uh, uh, the Gentiles in the lower class. Check that off. He rode into uh, Jerusalem on a donkey. Check that off. But with all the boxes they had that Jesus checked off, they had one more box. And this was their box. Overthrow Rome. In other words, make our life better right now. Right? That was their box. Make our life better right now. And because Jesus didn't check off that one box, they dropped Him like a hot potato. And there are many people in our culture, in our country, who do that as well. They ignore all of the proof of who Christ is. But because there's one thing that doesn't happen in their life that they want to happen, they say, well, I just can't follow Christ then. I, I can't give Him the glory that He demands. Most of you know who Ted Turner is. A very rich, very powerful man. And I remember years and years ago, he was talking about the fact that he was an agnostic. In other words, he didn't know if there was a God or not. And um, I think his beliefs have evolved a little bit. I'm not sure exactly where he is now, but, but back when I read this, he was an agnostic. And he said that when he was young, he was a Christian. That's what he said. Uh, but his sister, who had lupus, got very sick. Very, very sick. And he used to pray for his sister, he said. He would just pray, oh God, help my sister. God, heal my sister. And, and, and Ted said that she died anyway. And he said when that happened, when his sister who died, who he didn't think deserved to die, died, he said he no longer believed in God. Because he said, why in the world would God allow that to happen? You see, Ted Turner had a box that he wanted God to check. If you do this, you're God. But here's the thing about it. If you're that type of person after that box, guess what? There'll be another box one day. 
Well, God, now you have to do this if you're real. And this if you're real. And this if you're real. There's always going to be another box. Folks, Jesus checks off every box. But a good life in this world is not one of those boxes. You hear me? Jesus checks off every box. But a good life in this world is not one of those boxes. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. And Jesus is a king who should be worshipped, not only because of all He has done for us, but we think about all that He will do for us. We're not in heaven yet, church. Ultimately, we're going to be delivered from all suffering. Ultimately, we'll be delivered from all suffering. And we look forward to that day, but church, that day hasn't arrived yet. Now, I'll tell you what, I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to the return of Jesus. And and now I do think that there's some symbolism here in in the return of Jesus with the triumphal entry. You know, I just wish Jesus would come back today. I'll be honest with you. I'm supposed to start a diet tomorrow. Amen? Wouldn't that be great if Jesus came back today? Even more reason. But there is some beautiful, beautiful imagery here. Of Jesus not coming into Jerusalem, but splitting the eastern sky and coming into this world. Because He's not coming back to be crucified, is He? He's coming back to be glorified. He's not coming back on a donkey, is He? Revelation 19 says He's coming back on a stallion. He's not coming peacefully like He did the first time. He's coming to make war on His enemies. He's not coming with speculation where people will say, well, who is this? The Bible says everybody's going to know who He is when He comes back. He's not coming back with a fickle crowd, some who are following now and won't follow Him later. He's coming back with an angelic army and the blood-washed saints of God. Jesus is a king who should be worshipped. Even if we suffer in this world, He's a king who should be worshipped. Because we know that He's coming back. And when He comes back, everything will be set straight. And there will be no more suffering. There will be no more evil. Even if Jesus doesn't answer every prayer we pray, He should be worshipped. You see, Jesus is worthy because of who He is and all He's done for us. Who is Jesus? He's a breaker of the will. He's a God of providence. He's a provider of peace. He's the fulfillment of Scripture and He is a King who should be worshipped. If you don't know Him today, I hope you'll come to Him. I hope you'll give your life to Him. I hope you'll be saved. Father in Heaven, we thank You so much.